podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Everyone knows how important it is to keep their immune system as strong as possible, particularly coming into the cold and flu season. The guys over at Suns are always looking out for ways to help men with their health, and they have done it again with their new Ultimate Immune Health Supplement. It's formulated from 11 powerful ingredients and includes all the key vitamins, minerals and amino acids you need like vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin B, zinc, lagenine and the plant maca. All the things you can expect from a multivitamin. However, it's also got a special ingredient, a beta-glucan called Wellmune, which is clinically proven in 12 scientific trials. One trial in marathon runners led to a 40% reduction in respiratory infections. Another study showed a 71% reduction in the number of individuals reporting cold and flu symptoms. So if you're already taking a multivitamin or you're looking for something to strengthen your immune system this autumn winter season, then check out suns.co.uk and use a code WISDOM30 to get £30 off your first order. It's the perfect supplement for fighting viruses, maintaining energy and hydration, as well as recovery from sport and weekend overindulgence. We've had uh, a few since the office and they taste pretty good. Thank you for that. Yes, that was excellent work. Um, I've got a, an afternoon session pale ale to see off my, my day. We're recording very, very late tonight. It's pitch black outside at the Oval and I've just gone to print on on the magazine in the, literally the last two, two minutes uh, Enjoy myself with a Jeffrey Dujon Wisdom Cricket of the Year 1989. Available at wisdom.com forward slash shop, so. of course. Um, this, yeah, this is the latest we've ever recorded the pod, so apologies if we sound fatigued. We should, you do, wel- we should, we should welcome the listeners. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Um, we'll be talking about the T20 World Cup, where England and Pakistan are both four from four, while India's hopes, despite their win today against Afghanistan, are uh, hanging by a thread. We'll be talking about the T20 World Cup, but also, of course, the latest developments in the Yorkshire racism scandal that ramped up to a whole other level over the past few days. I'm Yaz Rana, and to get through all that, to answer your questions and more, are the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and the featured editor of Wisdom.com, Tara Hashim. Uh, we're going to have Mark Butcher with us in the studio today, but Southern Rail is at fault for his absence. Um, you'll still hear a few of his opinions over the course of the show over the phone. Let's start with what's been going on at Yorkshire. There's a lot still coming out, but this is this is where we are at the moment. Uh, it's steadily been receiving more attention in the UK over the last few days, um, but I'm aware that not all of our listeners are from the UK, so I'll run through what's happened over the last few days. So ESPN Quick Info's George DeBell wrote a piece earlier this week that claims to reveal elements of Yorkshire's report into Azim Rafiq's allegations of racism. It included this line. At least one Yorkshire player admitted to regularly using the term Paki when talking to Azim Rafiq, according to the report into racism at the club. But he was cleared of wrongdoing on the basis that it was perceived as what the report says was friendly, good-natured banter between the two players. It also included this passage. While the investigating team, the lawyers who were charged with gathering evidence of the report, also accepted Rafiq's evidence that he was offended, degraded or humiliated, and this amounted to harassment under the Equality Act and the club's equal opportunities policy, the panel, who were charged with making conclusions and recommendations, disagreed. Then politicians got involved. Health Secretary Sajid Javid tweeted in response to George's story, Paki is not banter. Heads should roll at Yorkshire. If the ECB doesn't take action, it's not fit for purpose. Julian Knight, the chair of the Parliamentary Digital Culture, Media and Sports Committee, tweeted, Given the endemic racism at Yorkshire County Cricket Club, I struggle to think of any reason why that board should remain in post. 
This is one of the most repellent and disturbing episodes in modern cricket history. Knight then released a statement calling Roger Hutton, the Yorkshire chair, to answer questions on the club's handling of the investigation in front of the DCMS committee. Rafiq is also set to be questioned by the committee. Arla Foods, the Danish company who produce Anchor Butter, have said they will not renew the sponsorship of the county's 50-over team. Uh, Yorkshire Tea have also said they will not be continuing their relationship with the club and other sponsors have voiced their disapproval. Um, Here's Butch's take on the recent development. So this isn't hugely straightforward, so listen carefully, folks. I'm talking to Butch on Thursday morning. The rest of the pod with Taha and Phil was recorded on Wednesday evening. Quite a lot happened in that intervening period. So the Daily Mail named Gary Balance as the player whose racial slurs towards Rafiq were reported in ESPN Cook Info. Balance then released a lengthy statement in which he said that he regretted using the language that he used and repeatedly emphasised the closeness of his relationship with Rafiq when they played together. This morning, The Telegraph reported that Colin Graves is in line for a return to Yorkshire as chair, where his first act will be to fully publish the report. Butch, the big news yesterday was, was the Gary Balance news. What stands out from that? Interestingly, it's kind of one of the, the, the first times in this entirely sorry saga that um, that anybody has sort of has, has held their hands up for being culpable um, to uh, towards this story, towards Azim Rafiq's complaint. Um, I, it, it sounds, I mean, the sort of thing, the sort of language used, I suppose, if you put that into any other workplace, um, you're losing your job straight away, right? Um, I can I can envisage a situation where the pair of them, as as friends, would be would be slagging each other like that. It happens in the, in sporting dressing rooms for sure. But I suppose interestingly, the um, you know Gary Balance having obviously having um, been made very aware of the effect that the sort of language, perhaps not necessarily from him directly, but but generally around the way that Azim Rafiq was treated um, at the club. He now understands the uh, the adverse and detrimental effect that that sort of thing could have could have had on somebody over a period of time, and so um, you know shows some contrition. Um, I, I think one of my one of my big takes from this whole thing, and the thing that has probably baffled me more than anything else, is how um, since since George Floyd, since lockdown, since uh, where wherever we were, April of 2020, the the, the discussion of and around race has been um, has been ongoing, and that has been absolutely fantastic, because what we've seen in the past with with incidents that have sparked off discussions about race is that they kind of burn out after a couple of weeks. Everybody wrings their hands for a little while and then it disappears. But what has happened here, um, you know, largely largely thanks to things like the England football team taking the knee, Michael Holding and Emily Rainford Brent on Sky on Sky during the West Indies series. Um, various documentaries and things that you know I've been involved in, things in other sports, things in other walks of life, have meant that these conversations have continued and they're still raging at the moment. Banter and 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 its use and the idea that this you know that that just harmlessly slagging people for the colour of their skin or for their ethnicity, um, for their ethnicity, sorry, um, people I think are starting to understand and learn. That you've got a problem. The problem with it is, is that if you're in the majority, it's no problem to you. It doesn't feel like you're you're doing anything wrong or you're being particularly offensive. To the person who it is aimed at in the in the minority, you've got two choices. One is you laugh along with it and pretend that that you're fine with it, 
or the second you make a complaint you you make waves you make trouble for the people or, or for the for the organization in which you are in which inevitably leads to you being seen as a troublemaker being uh, you know being talked about as having a chip on your shoulder and in a lot of cases it means you end up out of your job you know the complainer the complainer becomes the person who pays for it with with their career and that's pretty much exactly what's happened to Azim Rafiq and around the rest of the country around the rest of the world people are kind of wise and starting to understand how this affects people and yet Yorkshire County Cricket Club released a statement at the beginning of the week which basically ignores that any of these conversations have taken place and that anybody has learned anything at all in the last 18 months and that is the thing that, that completely and utterly floored me when I read the, um, you know, the, the findings or, the, or at least Yorkshire's marking of its own homework at the beginning of the week. Now, it's brilliant that Colin Graves is, is, is going to release the entire report and, you know, and, and be damned wherever, uh, wherever the, the names lie. I think that's absolutely correct because the only way in which you can start to make anything, any, anything better or, or kind of uh, come out of this with any sort of credit whatsoever is to face up to the fact that, <laughs> that there are huge problems and start to do something about them. All the while you bury your head in the sand, nothing gets better, nothing, um, nothing improves. Um, you know, Yorkshire are losing sponsors hand over fist because of this. The way that, the way that they have handled it has been utterly appalling, really. Mm. So separating Balance's statement and Yorkshire's statement earlier in the week, but on Yorkshire's handling of it, um, what, what was your initial reaction to them essentially defending the use of, of the P word? Just horrendous. I mean, that's that's exactly what I'm talking. It's it's so tone deaf as to as to as to be um, the entitlement of of that. The idea that, that there is no case to answer. The, uh, <laughs> the the way in which, as I've said, as I went into it length just now, that you completely ignore the learnings, the testimony of all of these these people and players who have spoken about the effect that that sort of language and that sort of constant chipping away at, at your difference has on people. The fact that, that quite often the organisations or the people doing it have no idea about that effect until much later because, because the person it's directed at laughs it off. Why do they laugh it off? They feel that they have no place to go. They feel that they, they won't be backed if they make complaints about it and therefore they suck it up um, and, and, and allow it to eat away at them. Mm. And so, you know, so that, that for me is the essence of it, is that it's kind of like you've learned nothing. Have you learned nothing? Have you listened to nothing? Have you completely been asleep for the last 18 months? Um, not to understand how, even if, even if you kind of felt that you perhaps there wasn't a case to answer, that the whole thing could be brushed aside or whatever, even, even if you imagine somehow that that is the case, you would still want to turn around and say, well, you know, going forward, that is absolutely unacceptable. We will do everything we possibly can to root it out uh, and make sure that people are aware and understand and educated as to the effect that this sort of, this sort of language um, and this sort of behavior has on people. Mm. Now, if, if, you're, if, you're a, if you're a young, you know, if you're parents of a, of a young Asian kid up there in, in Yorkshire at the moment and you're looking for, to try and get them into a career in, in cricket, what, what has this week said to them? Kind of said, well, you know, take your chances chances are you're 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 going to find similar sort of treatment and behavior and we're not going to do anything to back you up i mean i don't understand how that's i don't understand how that's workable um or how anybody thought that that was that that was okay 
Um, mm. But there we go, you know, and, and the, the, the calling of names, the sort of the racial slurs, the use of the, the, use of the, the term packy is not, that's not it. You know, one of the things that people can get, can get a little bit, um, a little bit, uh, perhaps they can, they can comfort themselves that things weren't that bad, was that, that that's the extent of it. That's not the extent of it. That's, that's a very small part of the complaint. Taha, the, the story has changed in the last couple of days, hasn't it? This is no longer about a number of accusations levelled at various individuals over a period of time. It's now about one of the biggest teams in the country at best inadequately dealing with those accusations and at worst brushing them under the carpet. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like um, we're getting somewhere now. Um, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago we talked about where we were um, with this whole thing and we weren't really sure what was what was going to happen next. You know, Rafiq himself wasn't really sure what was going to happen next. Um, you know, we're actually going to see some accountability now, which is which is very important and look that story that that george wrote um was extraordinary i mean it's just incredible this the way this whole process is the whole process just is able to stoop lower and lower um you know just think back to how slow yorkshire were in, in responding to the initial allegations right you know you know it started with our website and you know continued continued and when you know quick info reported um rafiq's allegations that's when the report you know that's when we knew we we're going to get a report now uh, then the report was really slow and then obviously we we remember how it came out which was through a summary on the morning of that test match cancellation and it's just every level you you stoop lower and lower and then um the the sort of announcement that they would yorkshire were going to take actions uh, had taken actions and the actions were that no one was no one was going to bear any accountability um and then i read george's story earlier this week and it's just you think, oh, I can't, I can't get surprised anymore and more, and then you see that, and it's just shocking, really. Um, and rightly, there's been uproar from from everyone. The story is now, you know, when when it first, when when Crick Info first report, when Crick Info reported the story last year, um, you know, and it felt like it was it was building traction. It, it had that initial traction, like any new story does, but then it died down. We were going to wait for the report and wait for the report, and then. This, the way this has moved, it's been, there's been moments of furor and then silence. And now I think we're at the stage where I think we can safely say that things are going to happen now. Sponsors are pulling out, you know, when the, when the money stops, that's when, that's when things really matter, right? So, um, look, it's important that we're actually going to see something now. And it feels like the last, last day today, yesterday, you know, this week has felt kind of momentous in this whole story. Yeah, Phil, I was saying to Taha before we started recording that the last few days have almost been quite strange for people who've been relatively close to the story in that it's been a very, it's been a cricket thing. It probably attracted some headlines at the very start. But now you get stories in cricket that almost become part of the culture war. Whereas this, everyone's on the same side in, really in, condemning, in condemning uh, Yorkshire's handling of it. it. It sounds like we've discussed this beforehand, but we haven't. But that's been my, that's what struck me as well. I was talking actually to, to Vish, the independent, uh, features writer on Friday and we were saying how surprised and heartened we were that the responses from Joe Public have been universally uh, in contempt of how Yorkshire has dealt with this issue and with the, the exception of one or two pretty much universally uh, sympathetic and in support of, of Azim and what he's gone through um, and look we live in such ridiculously polarised times that 
we, you wouldn't have expected that, would you? You know, um, the attempt by certain quarters to besmirch his reputation, thankfully and rightly, fell to nothing. Um, and the I think the sincerity of Azim Rafiq and the integrity that he's shown throughout this uh, has silenced any any cynics or skeptics out there. Um, and what you've seen now is a case that is so unambiguously appalling that this is when the big beasts come into play, right? This is when the MPs come into play. Uh, Julian Knight, in fairness, has been over this for a while. Um, uh, he's one of the few MPs who have, who have actually spoken out about this um, over the last couple of months and so on. Uh, but this has now, as you say, broken into the mainstream. Um, and as Taha perfectly put, once once the money men start shifting out the back door, then you know that you know that something is truly afoot. And um, the consequences for Yorkshire in the long term now are mind-boggling. Um, and in the short term. Once calls from on high are made for made regarding the the imperative for heads to roll, for boards to resign, for the root and branch of a of, a, of an institution as such as Yorkshire to be overturned, um, then then things start to play out. We had a question from David Stockwell who who asked, with the news that Azim Rafiq has been summoned to appear before the DCMS, are we now finally going to see some genuine steps taken over this awful episode in English cricket? Um, and when you have MPs, Julie Knight saying this is one of the most repellent and disturbing episodes in modern cricket history, what are we actually expecting the ECB to do? <clears throat> it's it's unprecedented, so I, I don't know. I, I you know. What do you but, reckon? Gen- uh, genuinely, like we've not seen anything like this at all. Because before before <clears throat> this week, I would say that you were really expecting, if anything, there was going to be action against individuals. If that, to be honest, it didn't really look like we could. We might we might not even get that. Now that 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 is that is different, isn't it? Well, as I said on the show a few weeks ago, um, this could end up in the courts, uh, and then the appeal courts on the back of that, because I know for a fact that people very very high up in the ECB were briefing certain journalists about their preparedness to take Yorkshire to court for bringing the game into disrepute. Now I don't know if that eventuality will play out, but I know that that was being that is what certainly was being discussed in the corridors of power at the ECB. I'd be very surprised if that is off the table, especially considering that they've only just recently seen the full report. Um, this is an existential thing for the game. You're talking about the most powerful storied club in the game's history, and the people who run the thing: strong England, strong Yorkshire. I mean, the, the absolute inversion of that here and where that leaves that relationship, you know, Yorkshire and England and the ECB are very much close. They're very much in cahoots. Um, where, this, where this goes from here on in, I do not know. I think people attached to the club from an administrative and man- management point of view will be, will be removed. I think names will come out. I think one or two players stroke coaching staff may not be playing and coaching very much longer. Uh, but what it means for Yorkshire's position within English cricket, I can't say. I, 
do they rock up in April next year and play a four-day game against Warwickshire or not? Do they? What do you think? What do you think? So genuinely, I was thinking about this a lot over the last couple of days. I would be uncomfortable uh, going to Headingley as a punter because everything that we've read from the last few days in particular, why why would I have any confidence that if I received racist abuse within the ground that it would be handled sensitivity or the rigour that an accusation of racism deserves, um, an investigation into racism deserves. Um, and that's, that's, that's someone who's been part of cricket since all I can remember is cricket. What, Yorkshire has an enormous um, South Asian community who love their cricket, who it's fair to say haven't been as engaged with the county as they should have been. This just makes it so much worse. Finally on this film, obviously this is this is unprecedented within English domestic cricket. Um, but what, what can listeners expect from from the next month or so for the rest of the year? Well I think I think the uh is it November the sixteenth? That's what reporting in Crick Info, yeah. Right. So um the DCMS committee will will sit on November the sixteenth. As you said earlier, Azim Rafiq will have his day would have his day with the cameras in front of him um and he needs that i think for his, for his own peace of mind um taha spoke to him a couple of weeks ago you know the, he was hanging in there a little bit and and i know that george has gone on other podcasts and talked about trying to help him hold himself together uh i think overall as i said earlier the restraint that he's he's shown has been remarkable and i think it's absolutely a necessary thing that he that he has his day um, in front of the cameras, uh, uh, and then and then the ECB will be desperately trying to organise their own position on this thing. Um, but as we said earlier, where that where that goes in terms of the relationship, in terms of the consequences for Yorkshire CCC themselves, it's it's too much guesswork at this stage. Um, it's horrifying, but it's a rare instance of. You know, journalists doing their job effectively, not letting a story drift, not letting the corporate imperative get in the way, uh, burying bad news on on good days to bury bad news and all of that. Well, you know, Taha deserves a lot of credit. George deserves a lot of credit. Anyone who's been over this, James Butler as well on the on the Creek Badger podcast. Finally, there is a sense that that yeah that this. This horrifying story will, will play itself out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just on the ECB's reaction, they released a statement yesterday saying they will conduct a full regulatory process that is fair to all parties, but also ensure this happens as quickly as possible. To achieve this, we have secured the services of a QC, along with other external investigatory support to upweight resource around our process. The ECB board has also reaffirmed its commitment to further additional resource should the investigation require it. Can I can I just ask you two, and this may not make it in, but as you know, as British Asian lads, that that point made regarding that word and it's the way it was diluted and compared to the Zimbo word. How devastating is that? Or I don't want to put words in your mouth. What's your response? What's your personal human response to that? Uh Genuine shock that someone in power can say that, especially if they're in a, in a community where there's a large South Asian contingent. That 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 logic, where they compared um, the P word to Zimbo, for example, uh, that is the logic that is used by ten-year-olds with no knowledge and uh, in complete ignorance of 
matters of racism and that if you have a uh and it, and, and it's, it's important to say it's not every single person involved at yorkshire there's not every single person who is in a position of power at yorkshire it's been reported there are certain people who oppose yorkshire's general handling of this if 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 the eventual conclusion is that that terrifies me that institutions can still uh have uh, a makeup so that that is that that is that is what you end up publicly saying i think that that's terrifying there are still institutions like that because you don't really see it every day what other major institutions have people in power who genuinely think that think this who look at moments of racism occurring and don't treat it with the seriousness that it deserves i mean how, how, how do i know that's not in every other institution in the country genuinely that's my so that's my that's my natural reaction to it you know i said yaz yaz has got bang on i mean my my first reaction was just there's one there's one thing you know terming it banter and look i've you know I've heard that word. I've had people say that word to me. Um, I've had people joke, make, trying to make jokes with me using that word. And, you know, at the time I've laughed it off or whatever, but inside it, it hurts, you know. Um, and to 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 then, you know, to to but but this is you know I'm talking about my experiences is when I when I was younger to to see it happening at, at this at level, an institutional level, at you know, from and a to, so-called see it, independence to see panel. it justified. It's just you know I can't I kind of I you know I, I've I felt a lot of anger at different points in this process. Um, I remember feeling really, really angry when we were basically told that we can interview any Yorkshire players while this report was going on, and I felt that sort of a sense of anger. But I'm just I'm an outsider to this story. Imagine the anger of Azim Rafiq. You know, mm. he was doing this. He was he was experiences experiencing this all. You know. With with silence from from all quarters, and now, you know, at least it's at least it's out there. Um, but imagine how many other stories there are like this. This is the one that got out. Should we go for a little bit of a a, a change of pace? Should we talk about the T Twenty World Cup? Um, at the time of recording, both England and Pakistan are four from four in their respective groups. Um, we should start with England. They were utterly dominant against Australia on Saturday. Uh, and then got through a tricky fixture against Sri Lanka the other day. Joss Butler hit an unbeaten 71 off 32 against Australia, and then an unbeaten 101 against Sri Lanka. He now averages over 60 with a strike rate of 149 when opening the batting in T20I cricket. Uh, I can't remember who put it, who, who said this, but someone said that um, that's the basically test match batting average of Steve Smith with a T20 strike rate of Kieran Pollard. So isn't he the best batter in the tournament? Isn't he just but, the best? But, but by miles... Uh, he can do everything. He can make the most of the power play, withstand tricky spells uh, and, and go massive at the end. Yeah. Well, I remember a couple of years ago, I was one of those idiots who said, you know, she'd be batting in the middle order. So was Joey H. Yeah. So yeah, was I. So was I. And, but, but I thing, wasn't. <laughs> the thing is, is that he's now, he's, he's still the finisher because yeah. he, he starts the innings and he doesn't get out. He just keeps on going. He's racked, you know, he's racked up a lot of red ink as opening the batting for England. Um, and I think against Australia, I don't think I've ever seen him. Oh, well, I, at the time, I didn't think I'd ever seen him bat that well. Um, and then two days later, he goes and does that against Sri Lanka, which was a more sort of an inning that had had layers to it. You know, it was the first the the, the first time England were actually under the pump in this tournament. They were actually struggling in the power play. Um, it looked tough out there. It looked hot out 48 there. Forty-eight for three off the ten overs. Yeah, exactly. He was fifty or forty-five, his slowest half century in in T20 internationals. Uh, and then what? Half an hour later, he's pumping it for six over square leg to to celebrate his uh, his century. Um, <laughs> special innings, a bit, yeah, just 
always quite silly at times because he's just he is I, I would like to say here as well that while I did say that he should bat in mid order ahead of this tournament I did predict he would be the leading run scorer so that's going well I, so you, you, you I'm going all, well you with that all. one I'm pretty happy with that one I, I like his firstly I didn't see the Australia England game <laughs> I, I went to I went to the Spurs I went to see Spurs United at the same time um, but obviously that was from my perspective, miserable. Although it did result in a rather interesting development. But anyway, that's by the way. Um, but me and my mate were watching the highlights at half time on our phone. And that thing he did against Mitchell Stark, uh, we stuck him in the top tier. I love I love Butler's reaction to these things because, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a cool dude, isn't he? And uh, he's very sort of self-contained kind of cricketer. And he's, he's, he's always trying his best just to keep himself in that little bubble, you know, head down, prod the pitch. But how can you do that? How can you do that when someone's tearing in 150 clicks and you stick him top tier, 98 mile meters, whatever it was, and then you have to just pretend that you've just sort of, you know, played played one down behind square for a single or whatever. Uh, I love the way, I lo- obviously we all love him, but I love his, I love his manner. I love the way he does it. Uh, there's, there's nothing's ostentatious, even when he's doing incredible things. Uh, and I did see, the, I did see the other innings. I mean, I'm not stupid, you know. I did, I did see the full, the full effort against Sri Lanka. And, and as Taha says, it was, it was kind of Butler in the old days when, in in 50 over cricket, when he'd bat five or six and he'd come in and he'd have sort of 15, 14 overs to go. And you think, oh, he might get 60 or 70 here, and suddenly he's got 120. You think, how the hell has he done that? But there's an, there's this inevitability to it. Um, I think Morgan said, you know, we're in the presence of greatness afterwards. I think it goes without saying, doesn't it? He is he is a, a phenomenon, really. Um, I hate to be this bloke, but when I'm watching him, I keep picturing him in six weeks' time. Do you? Yeah, so so do so, I, genuinely. When he, when he was playing off the back foot, in the, yeah. in the start, when he's in the first few overs, when he's batting against pace, fielder's in the ring, and he just hits a good ball for four. I'm like, oh, this, this is, this is the thing. Right, you, sorry, you, you mentioned that they hit the good balls for four. He does that in Test cricket remarkably, but there was one shot early on in the Sri Lanka innings where it's a short of a length in a, on a sort of cabbage patchy pitch. No one's getting it away. And he kind of gets right at the top of the bounce and he, he just manages to manoeuvre the wrists over the top of it while he obviously brings that natural kind of timing to it. And it always goes slightly straighter than it should. Whenever you watch him, he always hits to the right hand of extra cover. Most players, when they're playing through the offside, it's quite free. They always hit to the left hand of extra cover. With Butler, he hits it in unusual positions. And yeah, look, on his day, when the sun's out, it's beaten down and England have maybe managed to get up to, I don't know, 120 for five (laughs) on a flat one at the Wacker. Then yeah, look... He can do some damage out there. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And this is the thing, uh, you know, I think you can say this for a lot of those guys you play in that England white ball team. But, you know, when he, he, when he, when he walks out to the crease in T20s, ODIs, it just has, there's a confidence that you kind of feel like, okay, like there's, there's a cut, like he, he will protect me. He'll protect me and my children, you know, in a fire. And then when it comes to test cricket, you're just like, you want to give him a hug, like it's going to be okay. Just like get to the crease and like just if you middle one, you'd be okay. Just just play that shot through the covers where you do it off mm, the back foot. Yeah, and then just just, right, just do what, just do it, just, just do, do it right. Yeah, Joss. just like and you always want to like play the highlights for him and just like let's see you you can do this. Just, <laughs> mm. He's got to remember. I mean, he was yeah. you know, he was England's Player of the Year basically 
last, I mean, yeah. 20, in the year 2020 and it's been a, been a decent test cricket for the last couple of years. It's, but anyway, look, we'll come to that. We'll come to that down the line. Uh, got a good question from Neil Verani. Is Joss Pele to KP's Maradona in the pantheon of English white ball players in that one is the brightest in a team of stars compared to a man who was just several levels above his good teammates I can't I can't give KP Maradona <laughs> I'm sorry I can't it's Mar- Maradona's you know Mar- Maradona's Maradona <laughs> can't uh, give it to KP not with the stuff that comes out of his mouth so two days ago I would have said that England were overwhelming favourites of the tournament but Tamar Mills has now been ruled out of the tournament and that's obviously a big blow and devastating for him, given all his injury problems over the years. He was going really well. He was joint leading wicket-taker for England in the competition. Seven wickets, about 15. Um, but I, I think that's a really big loss for England. Um, he was too, What's the Mark Wood situation? I think he's fit. I think he's fit. Hang on, I'll, I'll he's, just He's not that. quite the potent bowler in the, in the, in the final four that Tamal is. So, 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 so they lose a little bit there. But he also took four for... Four for 20-odd, didn't he, in the warm-up game, Mark Wood? And I guess it will, a lot of it will hinge on his on his fitness. But he's, you know, he's still a very useful bowler at that, at that level. And especially, I would imagine, on those kinds of pitches where you can't really play through the line quite as smoothly as you can elsewhere. So I, I, I agree. I think the difference is, though, that England have done fine, basically, for the first half of the innings through the middle overs. Wokes has just given three up front. He's done, he's done a really good job. Um, they've generally used at least one spinner in the power play. They've been fine early on. With Mills, it's not just how well he's done. Jordan, by the way, has done very well so far. And I was one who's giving a bit of a stick before the tournament. Um, but with Jordan and Mills, you can go like, right, you are four overs. Morgan, I trust you guys to bowl those four overs at the end. And I don't think you can really have that with the guys who who, who could come in as good as Wood is and as good as Willie is. He's predominantly a power play bowler and Tom Curran's had a really difficult year. Uh, Reese Topley's been added to the squad as well. Um so how, how how do you replace Mills? Just, just First, really... I just really feel for him. I mean, this is a guy who spent the whole winter in a back brace, and he's been he's been desperate for this. Basically, you know, he he hadn't played he hadn't, he hadn't played for England for what um, four four years? Yeah, basically four years. leading into yeah. this tournament. I mean, he's been and this is a this is the format he plays. This is the peak for him. The T Twenty World Cup. It doesn't get any bigger for him, really. And so you know, to be fair, he's, he's done a. You know, he will, if England win it, he would have played a huge part in it because he's been really good in these first few games, as of all the other England bowlers. But I get what you mean. I mean, just leading into this tournament, just what, what Mills does at the death, I mean, it's been written about by quite a few people, um, is, is unique to everyone else. And it was nice to kind of see it at this stage as well, the, the slower balls, bowling short, which a lot of people have been doing now in this tournament as well. Um, but Wood is... I think Wood is Wood is prime for that if he's fully fit. I hope he's fully fit. You know, um, I think, yeah, I think I think England will be okay. I know Wood is not exclusively the the death guy, but um, Jordan can still you know hold his own for a couple of those overs as well. So it's not, you know, it's not. I don't think it's reducing England's chances by that much. I think they're still there's there's still favourites for me now. Yeah, one thing I thought that was that has been interesting with Mills in the tournament was that in England we very much built him up as the guy who bowls really fast. Um and obviously he bowls quickly, but in the tournament he doesn't actually rank among the very quickest in the tournament. He's been bowling high 80s with his quick stuff and obviously his snowballs are completely different. Um but but he's effective because he's very skillful. It's not just the raw pace. He's really clever with his lengths. He's got a brilliant slow ball. And it's, I think it's such a shame that we won't get to see that in the, in the knockout phase of the competition. It, it, um, it, it does slightly lessen the 
spectacular coolness of the team to not have Tamal Mills in there, both from a cricketing and an aesthetic perspective. And I'm not saying Mark Wood's not, not, not a great and cool cricketer in his own right, assuming that he is the man to come in. But I was saying it to, to Matt Thacker, um, who runs various institutions in our game, <laughs> saying it the other day, if you, if you just look from top to bottom, what a, what a brilliant composition of a cricket team that England side is. The, the complementary personalities, the different backgrounds, the, the different sort of social stories that all coagulate to get to that point where you create that team. And obviously it's all the more alluring when they're playing brilliant cricket, but it's just, it's just an interesting bunch of cricketers and personalities perfectly coalescing into that. And Mills is a, is a box office cricketer with his own story, his own unique background as well. Obviously, famously, he didn't pick up a cricket ball until he was 15, 16. To see, you know, to see Rashid do what he does, my, I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not any great revelation of mine <laughs> yeah. that he's really good at bowling leg, leg breaks in T20 cricket, but it's still, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I'm, I'm wary of going too big on England, given that by the time... They are good, record, though. Yeah. I mean, they might, they might get stuffed because yeah. this is the nature of the beast, but... My God, they're a creep. But on, on Rashid, I've really enjoyed watching, you know, that Morgan's really trusted guys who he's had with him for five, six years properly stepping up come the tournament. Uh, Roy's at times in the last two years, he's gone through in different patches of form. Uh, Rashid's not actually gone that well at various points in the last two years. Um, but both of them have really stepped up. And also, they just know their role so well. Like Roy goes yeah. out with complete freedom knowing my job is to, is to make the most of the power play. That is it. And he has complete confidence in even if he fails, he's like, if no, he gets I need to my six job. Overs, he re- retires, right? Is that <laughs> the way it works? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just on, just on Adil, first ball he bowled the other day was to the left hand. I think it was Asalanka, I think it was. And just an absolute ripper. I don't know if you remember. It's a googly, it. wasn't it? Yeah. It was a kind of googly come slider. I don't exactly know. It kind of front of the hand. So more of a slider than a, than a googly, really. But drifted across the left hander. He's trying to play it through mid wicket and it rips across him. Um, and it's just an unplayable delivery. You know, all the, the greatest southpaws in history wouldn't have got anywhere near it. It's just his first ball. And then he just sort of hooks his shirt back over his shoulder, which is mended. And I think you can see that he's, there's a lot more variation again. He's not just holding back on the, on, on the variations and sitting on his leg break because he can now trust his shoulder again. He is an absolute virtuoso. That boy. His, his first ball of the tournament, I think it was his first ball of the tournament, was uh, the, the wicket he got with um, Russell against West Indies. Um, and I watched it about 20, 30 times, and I still don't know if it was the googly or the slider. Yeah. Um, so how, <laughs> what's Russell going to do? <laughs> yeah, really? He's a very skillful man. Uh, anyway, here is... He, here <laughs> Great he, summary. <laughs> very skillful man. <laughs> um, India were handsomely beaten by New Zealand in their second game. Its result means that they're, they're, they're really up against it. Um, we're recording this just after they thrashed Afghanistan, which helps their net run rate. But for them to qualify, they need Afghanistan to beat New Zealand and to still have a reasonably decent net run rate swing. Um, Tar, what do you think has gone wrong with India? I mean, they're, they're a team full of um, IPL stars who've played one and a half IPLs in the UAE in the last 13, 14 months. Um, I think they're a bit muddled. Their team changes reasonably drastically from game to game, from series to series. Um, in that game against New Zealand, you had Rohit <coughs> at three, Kohli at four, which isn't very... 2021 T20 cricket. I mean, certainly picking Ishan Kishan for one one knock up top, moving Rohit down to number four, and then changing it around suggests you know that slightly garbled. They brought in Yadav Yadav initially 
who's a classy looking player. I love it. Love to watch him. But then there's there's probably a legitimate case to be made that how how much more can they can they go to the well? You know, as we've said before, they're busier than any other cricket team out there. Come straight from the IPL and then straight there. Uh, Coley's on his final run as a skipper, but then conversely, you would kind of think that might spur them on a little bit. There's also, of course, the point that sometimes you lose cricket matches, especially short ones. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work out for you. And the the, the New Zealand game, um, I watched that, and everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Every every miscue ends up in someone's hands, you know, a yard inside the boundary. Uh, every chance goes to hand. It just felt like one of those games where they went in there a little bit tentatively and it it kind of spiralled from there. And that happens. The, the Pakistan stuff, well, Shaheen, oh, you'd have spoken about this last week for sure, but Shaheen Afridi's opening over. I mean, that, that cleans up any, everybody, everybody ever in history. <laughs> you can tell, them where, tell, tell Bradman where he's going to bowl. He's still going still to hit him on the back pad. And then, of course, you know, one of the great opening pairs in, in the history of the format. So that can happen as well. Um, 16 to 1, they are. I had a look. <laughs> 16 to 1. Now, obviously, you know, it hinges on Afghanistan turning over New Zealand. And as you told me earlier, because I'm really on top of all this, Mujib, who is their star alongside, obviously, with Rashid, he's not playing. Big loss because he opens the bowling for them. I know that. I know that. He might be back, he might be back for the next game. I'm not right. sure how well, serious he is. Well, if he is back is. for the next game, then... All right, New Zealand 60%, but only 60%. And then suddenly, India thrashed Scotland and uh, someone Nib- else. Namibia. Namibia. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> I'm doing so well. <laughs> then they're right back in at 16 to 1. Look, don't bet, folks. Don't bet. But if you want to have a bet, then have a bet. <laughs> um, Pakistan, uh, as I mentioned earlier, are four from four. They beat New Zealand and Afghanistan in two very close games, actually. Um, Taha, Asif Ali is the hero on both occasions. Before this tournament... He averaged 16 with a strike rate of 123 in T20I cricket. Uh, in the last week, he's hit seven sixes off the 19 balls he's faced. So 37% of the balls he's faced in T20 World Cup cricket have gone for six. And there was that amazing moment uh, in the... I can't remember which game it was. It was either the New Zealand or the Afghanistan game where he rejected a single off the penultimate of the last ball of the 18th over and then hit... Is it Afghanistan game? And then hit uh, 24 uh, off the 19th to win the game for them. Yeah. It's just a beautiful story, really. Um, this is the guy who's been he's been talked a lot about a lot over the last few years about guys who you know from I've heard this from people who've watched him closely in the PSL. He's you know he's a gun for Islamabad. He's he's built this reputation in that tournament as as a guy who just whacks it and he's he's perfect in that finish role. But it was never really going for him with Pakistan. Um, and you know, 2019 World Cup, he was in that 50 over squad, and there was a Obviously, the tragedy he lost his, you know, his daughter to to, to cancer. I, I believe um, just a few days out before that tournament, um, and he's and he's coming to this World Cup, and he has that, that you know he has that day out against New Zealand, and you think that's it, that's his story, that's that's nice. He's got this little redemption arc, and it's great. But then to do it to, to a couple of nights later um, against Afghanistan was was something special. That was more special. What was it twenty four of seven or something like that? It was. Yeah, it was obscene. Um, and I just, I like that we, we, you know, T20 has become a more nuanced game. You know, we, our terminology has changed. We talk about these matchups. It's, we were a lot more praiseworthy of captains and stuff, but I quite enjoy watching someone come out there 
and just go ballistic and just try and hit the ball as hard as they can. Are you suggesting really that nice. some of it is overcomplicated for the sake of it? I uh, would, I would, I would say that. You, you yeah. would, you would never say that. Sure. Yeah, no, you'd never I say I that. It's, it's got to be Pakistan, isn't it? It's got to be Pakistan. They're a thoroughly likable team. It's gone too smoothly. It's gone too it's, smoothly. But <laughs> I've seen a lot. Of, I've seen a lot of Pakistani pundits on Twitter comparing this to the '99 there's, World there's Cup. There's a great deal of worry out there <laughs> for people who really do love Pakistani cricket. I think Ben wrote as well for our website that the best thing for Pakistan would be to lose to Namibia. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's you know there's there's always that fear in a tournament that you, you've peaked too early. You've got to lose a game in mm. your tournament. You've got to be Spain at the 2010 Football World Cup losing <laughs> to Switzerland in your opener. That's that's what you need to have a good tournament. Mm. But they could do it. I think you know. I think we. I think it'd just be a travesty if it's not Pakistan England final. They're the two teams. They've got to play each other. Uh, we talk about Butler now. Watch Butler can't against Shaheen. That that's, that would be something beautiful. Um, He's without a doubt my favourite bowler. I mean, this is just pub talk now. It's rubbish, isn't it, frankly? <laughs> but Shaheen, yeah, from a technical perspective, I just think he's astonishing. That wrist, the way that wrist is cocked at the top of the top of the action, it's a beautiful kind of listen style action. He makes absolutely everything of his height, uh, and they are they are often unplayable, just literally unplayable. The snap in the wrist is is a is a kind of it's a gift from the gods. Really, mm. he is absolutely marvelous. Mm. Um, that is rubbish content I do appreciate that I agree I don't know what to say about him that's sort of a weakness it's kind of the worries about him is that he's playing too much well, well I, I, th- I think you know I, th- I think that the, the boffins in the laboratories would say that he's, he's more new ball opening opening spell doesn't have maybe the versatility of a of a Bumrah who comes in at different points in the innings depending on when Cody calls him in but then he's got a killer Yorker he can bowl a pretty mean short ball. He's yeah. got everything, really. If, if, if you had to pick, though, between a new wall bowler and a death bowler in T20 cricket, I know there are fewer guys who are incredible at the death, but if you are as good as Shaheen is at the start of an innings, that's where games won and lost. There's that stat that goes around all the time about if you take three wickets in a power play, you are very, very likely to win that game. Shaheen Shaheen wins you games in that power play regularly. And, and if you're comparing him to Bumrah, Bumrah, as good as he is, doesn't actually do that that often for India. He's brilliant at the death. And there's, there are a few, if any, better death bowlers in the world. But Afridi wins Pakistan games in, in, in yeah. the power play regularly. Um, one of the things I like about the 100, do you remember that? Do you remember the 100? <laughs> good, good, good tournament, good tournament. One of the things I like about the 100 is how valuable a new ball bowler can become when Shaheen could bowl 20 of the first yeah. 25 balls. Yeah. And just, you know, just win whichever team he plays for, just win him it. And he's been with Middlesex next season, which makes Yeah, him. indeed, yeah. Um, Afghanistan's Asghar Afghan has announced his retirement from international cricket mid-tournament. Uh, he played nearly 200 times for his country and he represented Afghanistan against 40 different nations, which is incredible. Uh, a massive part of their, their rise over the last decade. Um, South Africa are doing quite well. They've, they went into the tournament a bit under the radar. A lot of the focus was on um, the omissions from their squad, namely that of Faf Du Plessis, but they're doing okay. Um, Taha, you've been, you've been impressed by them? Yeah, I mean, I've just... I think because of that bowling attack, I just felt like they've, I felt from the start that they were kind of, they were in this group with England, West Indies, and it was kind of seen like, all right, England will go through, West Indies are West Indies, they they dominate this format, they'll go through. But I looked at West Indies and I saw, while they've got all that power in that batting lineup, not not been convinced by that bowling attack. Um, South Africa are the, are the other way around. You look at the batting and it's, there's nothing, if Decott comes off, that's great, but he hasn't come off yet and it's, it's not it's not an explosive lineup, but the bowling attack, especially those two 
the two proper quicks, you know, Norcia and Rabada, and they've done it for Delhi in the IPL. I mean, watching those two in tandem is, is something special. Norch is actually kind of the, the almost becoming the leader. He's the guy who's going under five and over in this competition. And he's just he's just too quick for some people. Uh, he's been doing it in the IPL for, for a couple of years now. And it's quite nice to see him at the World Cup. But I don't think he's had, actually played in a World Cup before. Um, but then you've got those two. You've got two, you know, Maharaj is not, you know, this isn't really his format, but he's not going to let you down too much. Shamsi's had an extraordinary year. Um, and then the, the, the medium pace, Petrori hasn't let them down either. So it's just a really well-rounded attack. And I think, you know, if you, you know, a, a good a good attack <laughs> takes you a long way, especially in the way the this World Cup's shaping, where it's not it's not 200 plays 200. You get a good attack that, you know, you know, especially if you, <laughs> you bowl first, you get a good attack that limits the score, then you're, you're right in the game. And you can get away with those guys who who aren't going to blast it at 200, who are kind of just going to guide it through the innings. So, you know, Bavuma, Van der Dusen, these guys come into play. And so, I mean, they could go out <laughs> pretty quickly soon. Yeah, that's probably my favourite game of the last week, actually, was Safgate's Bangladesh, weirdly, because it wasn't a very good game. But just watching, <laughs> but just watching Rabada and Norkia bowl on a quick yeah. pitch against batters who really couldn't handle the pace was 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 pretty cool. Um, also, on South Africa, um, Quinton de Kock, Returned to the South Africa side after missing the West Indies game. He released a statement explaining his absence. He said, I would like to start by saying sorry to my teammates and the fans back home. If me taking a knee helps to educate others and make the lives of others better, I'm more than happy to do so. I do not in any way mean to disrespect anyone by not playing against West Indies, especially the West Indian team themselves. Maybe some people don't understand that we were just hit with this news on Tuesday morning on the way to a game. I'm deeply sorry for all the hurt, confusion and anger that I've caused. Um, we have got a we got an email in just before we start recording from Tim Loke, who said, Afternoon, guys. Long-term fan of the pod. So I thought I'd chime in with my two pence on the T20 World Cup, and in particular Scotland. Uh, please see my essay below. His essay was only two words long. He just said, Mark Watt. Kind regards, Tim Loke. Um, well, I promise you, that, Mark. What's what I, on the I, show, I, isn't I, it? I promise you that Tim Logue is not an alias of mine. Um, yeah. But what had an ex- another excellent game today, going for one for thirteen <laughs> against New Zealand. Gen- I mean, you laugh, but he, th- th- there are two spinners in the tournament who are going under five and over in the Super Twelve stage. So not even including the stuff that happened earlier in the tournament. Him and Majib, they're the only two. Um, he's bowling. He's bowling really well at the moment. Before we move on, I just wanted to briefly get both your thoughts on your overall impressions of the tournament. It doesn't really feel like a World Cup to me. It doesn't have the freshness a World Cup. You, you switch on a World Cup game, you know, the first game of the tournament, you switch on, you think, ah, oh, it's the World Cup. It, it hasn't had that because a lot of these guys have been there for a couple of months now. They've been playing their cricket. They were playing in the IPL and it's just straight into it. Um, you know, there's there's not huge, massive, you know, crowds. There's there's just not that, that feeling. The, the games haven't been great. To be honest, I'm not. I don't enjoy this kind of, you know, the toss, the toss being that important. I don't enjoy the sort of just battling to a to 140, and then you've got, to, you know, try your best to defend it. It's just. I mean, I'm still, you know, it's still a World Cup. There's still a sense of importance to it. There's still a sense of, oh God, if they win this, they're through. For, oh no, they're in huge trouble. You know, India losing the other night was like, this is big. This is big. Um, but. I don't know. I'm still, hmm. I'm st- I'm not enjoying it as much as I thought I would. Basically, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take a couple of things. One, you're at a low ebb, though, aren't you? 
That's true though. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on with me. Yeah. Um I've got to get your flat sorted, mate. Got to have somewhere to live. Um there are a couple of things I'd say. One, I don't like the obsession with net run rate. Uh I don't like the idea that teams have to manage how much they lose by as much as kind of being talked about. And net run rate is quite likely to decide things, as it often is in, in, in tournaments, but when you have just five games, it's always gonna it's always likely that it's going to come into play in at least one of the groups. Um, and also just the venues, really. Like We've watched so much cricket in Sharjah, Dubai, Abu Dhabi over the last 14 months that it, it doesn't really feel that distinct from the cricket that we've seen leading up to it. Obviously, we're all more invested in it because it's a World Cup. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like, oh, this is new, this is something different. And also, it started so soon after the IPL as well. So there was literally no gap between the two. Um, it, it doesn't, I'm not as excited about this compared to like a 50, 50 World Cup like we had last two years ago, rather. Phil? Um, yeah, I, I take my little wins where I can find them. And I like seeing players that I don't know too much about coming through. And I like then imagining where they're going to end up in their careers. Hasaranga is a player that I really rate very highly. Um, bowls all kinds of interesting stuff out the back of the hand, the front of the hand for Sri Lanka and, and can bat as well in the middle order. Um, I want to see him become a really, really top quality cricketer. And that gives me pleasure, massively so. Um, I couldn't really care less about the result. Um, that's not entirely true. You know, if, if if England had got beat by Australia, be it, I was at the lane. But if England had got beat by Australia, I'd have gone, oh, that's a drag. But then that would have been it. Um, maybe the barometer for me, when I'm working in the office and I hear the latest, you know, excitable shriek on the commentary or the latest kind of blast of Muzak from that appalling PA system, whatever it might be, I I invariably don't look up. Because it, someone might have clothed one over a 60-yard boundary or they might have played a really good shot. But it becomes this kind of homogenous thing. It's, it, it struggles for a bit of identity for me. <laughs> However, down the, down the line, when you get two top-quality teams going at one another in the semifinals, then, then there'll be more of a kind of emotional attachment to it. But if I was watching... If I was watching a, a, a different form of the game, I have to be honest here, if I was watching a different form of the game and I heard a shriek from the commentary, then I'd be up straight away because there's just a bit more, there's a bit more wagered on that moment. If you take a wicket in a 50 over game or obviously in a first class game, then you have to see that wicket happening. If someone hits, hits one out the ground, clears front leg and hits one out the ground in, in either of those formats, then it, it's a more significant event. It's a more significant moment. Um, this is not a criticism necessarily of the short format and you can easily make a positive case for that that it's all condensed and so it's like a great highlights package and all the rest of it but it has the effect on me personally that it ends up just becoming this kind of mass of slightly slightly exciting but not very exciting mini moments mm. you know yeah that's interesting because I, I actually really like T20 as a format it just, I, don't, I just don't think the tournament really does uh, the format justice almost because Sri Lanka is interesting. You mentioned Hasranga. Sri Lanka have probably been the team that I've enjoyed watching the most because you've had players do really well. He, really, let's be honest, we don't know that much about Asalanka, don't know that much about Tixana, 
Um, so that's been really cool. There's also, I always find this, I get uh, it's weird saying this now because it's been so many years since the last one, but I always feel there's not really that great sense of jeopardy in the T20 World Cup, especially I, now I with this one. It's what I'm getting at. Because there's going to be one next year. So it's all right. We, can, <laughs> we, we still got that. Uh, you know, I, I always enjoy that thing with other global tournaments where, you know, a team gets knocked out and it's like, oh my God, we're out. We've got to work so hard to get here and it's going to be another this many years till we get there. Um, I don't really feel, I never f- feel that with that tournament. This time. I, 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 I do think having said all of that stuff, I think if, if either England or Pakistan go and win it, then I think it's, it's, it's a memorable story. If England win it, it's the first time the team would have done the double. Yeah, it meant Held yeah. both big tournaments, both big trophies at the same time. And the manner in which they won in 2019 and the manner in which they're going about their business in this one, I think that will be remembered for a long, long time. It's interesting how other, other figures from other nations are describing the way that England are playing cricket. You know, they are rewriting the rules. Uh, and that's that's huge, I think, for the game, um, if that plays out. And also Pakistan, not just because they're a great bunch of cricketers, but obviously the, you know, the backstory is such that that becomes uh, a story for the ages as well. So come the end of the tournament, for sure, for sure, um, there will be things that, that, that I cleave to and, and hold on to for, for a long time. It's just at the moment I find that there's a kind of, there's a, there's a drudge to it sometimes. It's incredible how we got, I can't just see, I can't see any other team winning it, you know, apart outside of those two. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, you know, they're, they're, New Zealand could win it. You know, New Zealand have got a tidy team. India could still win it. India, so, so 16 to 1, I mean, folks. South Africa, Australia, West Don't Indies. Bet unless you bet. Any, any of those teams could still genuinely win it. I mean, it was, like, Pakistan have, they only just beat Afghanistan. They only just beat New Zealand. Um, England struggled a bit against Sri Lanka we've seen how important the toss is like anything can happen um before we move on um the hilarious new book from Phil Tufnell how not to be a cricketer is out now there are many potential pitfalls of a professional cricket career what happens if you don't avoid them Phil Tufnell looks back over his life and career to provide brilliant advice and insights often learned the hard way from his own experiences as a cricketer for someone who never quite fit the mold Phil Tufnell was actually pretty good at not being a cricketer how Not to Be a Cricketer is out now in hardback, ebook, and audiobook. Phil, what's, yeah. what's your moment of the week? Uh, well, as I said earlier, we went to, went to press on the next edition, 50, 50th of the resurrected WCM brand. Um, the institution that is WCM, we went to print an hour or so ago, and uh, it's a good one. It's the pre-ashes issue out next week, folks. Um, I interviewed Hasib Hamid last week for the Interesting. for the magazine. Um, yeah, and I, that was my moment of the week. What do you want to know about it? Um, <laughs> how's he doing? Uh, good question. I think, look, I mean, it was over Zoom. It was a Loughborough thing. Um, they didn't really want journalists to get up there, you know, with, with protocols and so on. Um, I would have preferred to have done it face-to-face. It, and I, I first interviewed him when he was 19 years old, back in 2016, um, and it was a brilliant interview that we had at that point, and I remember being struck by what a precocious character, not just talent. You know, he spoke with a real, a real sense of insight for the game. He, he had a kind of photographic recall of all kinds of stories from his early years and so on, and that came through again, actually, when I spoke to him just now. 
but what has, of course, happened over the years is that life and experience has, has, has done its thing. And uh, when I spoke to him when he was a teenager, we spoke for 40-odd minutes, and it was great, and it was sparky, and it was funny on his side. And it the whole the whole... The whole story was opening up for him and he couldn't get enough of it. And then it went wrong, as we know. And cricketers go through bad form, but few cricketers go through bad form quite as spectacularly and potentially spirit-destroyingly and for so long as it did with Hasip Hamid. And during that time, I would text him here and there. I mean, we're not mates by any means, but you know, you, you, you have the numbers and so on and and he would always be polite, but he would always say, I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to talk. I don't want to talk at the moment. And he doesn't, he hasn't given many interviews at all. I think he did one for The Guardian um, after maybe Headingley, I think it was. Uh, I think he's done one or two things with knots, but basically he doesn't really covet the media. And he's slightly wary, I think, of, of dredging up the past. And I understand that. I totally respect that. Um. How did you react when you did bring up the past? Well, what was interesting about it, because we said beforehand, he said, can we not do the Lancashire bit? And I said, yeah, fine, I, I get that. And yet, there were conversations, the conversations that we had often took, he, he took them back anyway to the, the tough times, to the challenges, to the loss of love for the game, to the the dark nights of the soul. He He took it back to those moments as well of his own accord. And I think what's happened to him over the last two years, since he went to Knotts and Peter Moores has worked wonders with him, is I think he's come to terms with it. I think he's got to a point where he can live with it and got to a kind of state of grace with, with those dark times, I think. And within, he's, he's a philosophical boy. His faith, is, as he said to me, has become... He says, as I've got older, I've learned more about it. And naturally, he said, you understand it more. And then you, de- you deepen your, your relationship. You build a relationship with your faith, is how he actually put it. Uh, and he's, he's, a, he's a proper thinker, is Hasib Hamid. Um, he's an articulate boy. Uh, and he's deep. And his experiences confer depth. You can't shrug that off. If you average 9.4 over a whole season, having been the golden boy. You have to get your head around that somehow. You have to go quite quite deep to to pull yourself out and to, to summon the, the kind of that self-belief that would have been splintered on the floor. You need to have to find that again somehow. And and he he has he has delved deep into himself. That much is evident. Um on a purely cricketing level, uh he had a conversation with Michael Atherton at the start of the summer. Uh, about alignment, about what guard he should take. And this has been the issue of the day, isn't it? You know, the off-stump guard versus your middle-stump guard, the, the, the chest-on versus the side-on. Now, Atherton is a, um, he's an evangelist for, for side-on batting. And Hamid, towards the back end of, t- of his time at Lanks, had started batting on off-stump. And, you know, he wasn't getting any runs. When he went back to Knotts... In conversation with Moores, and then in conversation with Atherton, he chose to uh, go back to a middle stump guard, which he'd, he'd occupied for most of his early years, when of course he was making lots of runs, and to tighten up his stance a wee bit 
so he was playing more on alongside the ball, staying side onto the ball in the kind of a classical way. Uh, since that moment, he's he's felt a lot more comfortable in his game. Uh, the way he describes it is very very analytical, very insightful, and you can get you get the sense as I as I said earlier, this is the kind of cricketer who remembers all his scores. He remembers the bowling attack of every time he ever got any runs or didn't get any runs. He'll remember, you know, what angle backward point was at from the Vulture Street end or whatever. He he's he has this kind of photographic memory for the game. Now, on the one hand, that would have probably aided his precocity when he was younger because you 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 can you can picture the game more maturely and with with greater kind of analytical depth than than others. But the flip side emotionally for that, I think, is if you're playing it out, we've all played the game, if you're playing it out before you go asleep at night, why did I play that shot? Why did I do that? What, why did this happen? And you have such an acute understanding of the game, the rhythms of the game, then I think that can get you into trouble psychologically and emotionally. So I think he's had to wrestle with that as well. And in, in amongst all of it, he says towards the end... Um, if you overthink it, then you're done. You're in trouble if you overthink it. And I think he's got to a point where he's managed to declutter his head, I think. Uh, how many runs he gets in Australia is up for grabs. Who can say? Does he even get the nod to open the batting? He, he, personally, I think he's, not, he, he's no more than a 55% chance to open the batting. I think they'll be looking at Crawley and him to open as, as the option to open alongside Burns, at least initially. Uh, but the fact, the simple fact that I could write the sentence watching Hasib Hamid bat this summer in Test cricket, that felt good just to write the thing. He's on the plane. We'll see where it gets him. Um, but yeah, he's a fascinating story and, and, and a genu genuinely interesting lad. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish him, I wish him all the all the luck in the world. I hope you all do. Taha needs to go to watch a film at the moment. So if Taha doesn't say anything for the rest of the pod. I could have gone on for another 10 minutes there. <laughs> um, you got a question from one of our listeners. John asks... Is this just going to be me and you? Yeah, not long to go. He's got to go to a film. Uh, following a recent chat about online ICC polls on the podcast, uh, which player does the panel think is the most liked in cricket, especially by opposing nations? The most liked player by opposing nations? Yeah. What, in, in the T20 in World Cup? All countries in the world. All, liked, all cricket. All liked cricket. as in for what they do on the pitch? I think personality. Most Pers popular player, but, 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 but from other countries. So Kohli, India, yeah. not necessarily because the fan base is predominantly in Kohli, in India. I think it's got to be Kane Williamson, isn't it? Everyone loves Kane Williamson. Yeah. He, 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 he shakes someone's hands and, you know, the internet goes crazy. Yeah. I think that's a good shout. He, he's he's this sort of godlike figure, isn't he? Yeah. Beyond beyond any reproach. I wonder if there are any skeletons in his cupboard. I have said that before about about Williamson. Just just dig dig a bit deeper. His, his lack Get of all of his laptop. Yeah. I've always been a bit suspicious about how little he celebrates. I remember when New mm. Zealand qualified for the World Peculiar. Cup final. Peculiar. He didn't smile, and that mm. and that 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 is uh, slightly mm. uneasy for me. Um, um, Butler will be will be up there. I think. Butler, yeah. Butler is Butler is a popular boy. That's true. Um, Mar Marcus Stoinis is funny. Oh, God, he is, isn't he? Isn't he brilliant? That interview yeah. on The Great Cricketer is good podcast, that, boys. Um, that is a classic, a classic, absolute classic interview. See you, Taha. See you, Taha. Enjoy the film. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an incredible interview. He's, he, 
he's, he's a very funny man. Mm, he's a very naturally. funny man and very open as well. Did you see um, his impression of Matthew Wade? So funny. So funny. <laughs> Matthew Wade uh, talking to him whilst they're running him into the wickets. It's so good. I'm coming back for two. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my moment of the week now. Um, so there are actually three moments from Pakistani panel shows covering mm. the World Cup. Uh, so number one is there was this panel show with nine guests, um, including Shweb Akhtar, Sanamir, Viv Richards, David Gower. So you got those four and then decided... It's like know, a fever dream. You know this, what? We it? need five more. You know, we got those four. We need five more. <laughs> um, and basically, uh, Shweb gets in a, in a little bit of an argument with the anchor. And the anchor basically says, you're being rude. You need to apologise. And Shweb's like... I'm sure I've acted. I don't need to apologize. I didn't quite say that, but that's pretty much what it was. Mm. And then he stormed off the show, mm. um, resigning on the spot on live TV, which is excellent. Um, Here's Morgan vibes. Yeah, but with a much, much more class. Because um, he actually, actually didn't, he didn't, didn't, didn't do much wrong in that situation. Um, but the other one is, is probably funnier. It's uh, another Pakistani panel show. Uh, and your four guests are Misbah, was Wasim Akram, Wakar Yunus, and Wahab Riaz. And there's a question from one of the viewers who's, who, who asks, um, do, you, do you guys think that if the Ahmed and three or four other players in the Pakistan domestic scene, will they be able to step up uh, in, to fill the shoes of Shweb Malik and Mohamed Afis when those two eventually retire? And Wakar Yunus, who until very recently was Pakistan's bowling coach, goes, if the Ahmed, he's about the same age as uh, Shweb and Hafiz, isn't he? Um, and then Wahab Riaz starts laughing. Wazi Makram starts laughing. And then uh, the, the the anchor goes, you know, he's, he's 29. And then Wakar Yunus goes, 29? 29? Really? <laughs> and Wazim is like laughing uncontrollably. He goes, you coached him for two years. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, and Wakar Wak- Wak- Yunus is like, yeah, I coached him, but I never asked him how old he was. Um, so and, and the dance, of course. <laughs> and the dance was the third one as well. Dance yeah. extraordinary. They're dancing to the T20 World Cup theme music. M- M- Mizba during the dance, he plays the Charlie Watts role, you know, just sort of just tapping away, sort of indulging these, these, yeah. these idiots, these showmen. The others the get really into it, in fairness mm, to them. They do, yeah. completely, yeah. Yeah. Um, their, their their coverage of the T20 World Cup is, is much more all in than than what we're getting in the UK. I think it's fair to say. Um, another listener question: uh, Shervo, the Shervanator, he's in. He he asks uh, extensive post match analysis of the third test in the 2005 Ashes would be helpful. Thanks um, to remind listeners. Uh, Shervo is is a listener who only discovered cricket in September 2018 so anything that happened before then is new to him and at the moment he's, he's well worth a follow because he's basically watching the 2005 Ashes on a test by test basis and live tweeting his f- initial reactions to the thing hang on I'm just going to read out his um, username so you can all follow him so he's at Shervington D on Twitter um, highly highly recommend following him um just to see his, his, his newfound love of the game. <laughs> um, and to finish, we had an amazing message sent in from a French listener, Adrien, uh, who says, I'm a cricket fan from France, um, and I can assure you that there are not a lot of us. And I write to you because I discovered the Wisdom podcast, and I absolutely love it. It helps me follow the actuality and debates, but also to improve my English and understanding the British accent. Wow, oh dear. Um, uh, I got into cricket in a in a, in in a long way. Uh, my paternal family is from southern Italy, and a, and as a large diaspora, I have cousins in the US. I went there when I was young and started to be interested in baseball. 
I started to play it in university and even though it's not so common, there are several clubs in France and Italy. When I moved to Italy for my master's degree, my roommate was from Pakistan and he was always watching cricket on TV. I remember that he explained to me that cricket was a much more strategic game than baseball with a lot more possibilities. In Italy, cricket became popular and attracted local people who grew up in some areas where Asian communities brought cricket to the streets. So I started to watch it on TV, learn the rules, watch some movies, uh, read the book Selection Day. And when I came back to France, I became a school teacher and continued to play baseball. In 2017, my school was in a district where most of my students were from South Asian communities and the parents invited me to play one time. I really enjoyed it. Actually, it was much more fun than baseball for playing. Um, And I started to search for a team in my district uh, in the Parisian Bonlieu where I live. I was a bit anxious because all the teams in this area mainly consisted of expats and I thought that maybe my integration would be difficult. I found a club near my home and most of my players are from Tamil Nadu and at the beginning they were trying to understand if I was from Afghanistan but they were so glad that an European decided to join the club. My integration was so fast and they became my friends. Uh, They were never mad at me when I bowled three wides and over. In fact, cricket was a, sport, was a sport I was always searching for. The relationship with time is so different. It's competition, but without stress. With two friends, we created a website, lespiridocricket.com. Oh, I've heard of that. Mostly yeah, yeah. discover this sport through cultural and social aspects. Since my child was born, I have limited time for writing. But if God wants and gives me time, I have some ideas for articles in the future. And next summer, I plan to come to England in a lonely road trip to see the county championship. I would like to go to Edgbaston and the Oval. Right, and maybe, coming on the show. And maybe an ODI between England versus India in July. He's coming Isn't on the that show. Isn't that mad? That's, That's crazy. We've got, we've got a French listener. That was an um, incredible message, Adrian. Thanks for getting in touch. W- w- one thing to say, Adrian, if you haven't read Netherland by Joseph O'Neill, mm-hmm. then I would, I would recommend that. I'd recommend that to anybody, but somebody who's fallen for the game, having come from a, a non-traditional outpost, if you like, and how it stitches itself into the into your bones uh, and gives you some kind of sense of identity as well. I would recommend that novel. It's an absolute stunner. Cricket is its backdrop uh, to the human condition, like all the good stuff. Mm, excellent. Um, I think that is all we have time for in this show. Uh, Phil, thanks for the only one left. Pleasure, yeah. Um, how strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this has been the Wizarding Cricket Weekly Podcast and we'll be back next week. Podcast Network.